I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the CollectingCars.com podcast with Chris Harris and Edward Lovett. Welcome back to the Goodwood Racing Circuit. It's a double header. So last week you heard uh, Sam Hancock and myself and Edward. But this week um, it's been recorded a couple of hours after that one. We're still at Goodwood. Um, I'm here with Sam Hancock. That's at Sa- no at Hancock underscore Sam. I got yes, it right. Thank but I always you. have a stammer. And I'm really really chuffed for this one because this is great. We've got Tiff here. We've got Tiff Nidell, who I presume is at Tiff Nidell on Twitter. Are you? Oh, you have to do underscore, don't you? At at Tiff, Tiff underscore well, TV. How, who's got other? Who's who else is called Tiff Nidell? Oh well, I went for the the, the t- TV bit. You see, my website is Tiff TV. Therefore, my Twitter is Tiff underscore TV. So for anyone listening to this. Tiff needs no introduction. And for me, as the person that's supposed to marshal this activity, it's going to be a tough one because squeezing words out of Tiff is like getting blood from a stone. He's just not willing to talk about anything or himself. He's just, he's just a quiet man. Um, but uh, really, it's fantastic to have you here because you know, you're one of the people that created the industry in which we all thrive. And we can't quite believe that you're still going, but you seem to get younger, thinner, lither, faster as time goes on. What have you just been driving here today? Peter Pan's Peter Pan syndrome. That's what I go for. Yeah, and that yeah. beeping thing. Why do people? That's going to be electric cars going to be like that well, soon. We'll just, you know? Everything yeah, has we'll to make to, a noise when it reverses. It's already started. Uh, fantastic! I'm driving a lightweight E-Type. I do three races at Goodwood this year. Uh, one little saloon car, which I don't even know yet. I've been introduced to uh, a DB4 lightweight in the Kinrara on the Friday night, and this TT a lightweight E-Type in the Tourist Trophy. The E-Types around here, to me, are the best cars to drive around Goodwood. I mean, I've driven them before, and uh, I think they're perfect Goodwood cars. They are mega, aren't they? Because they, they have that balance where you can just get the thing set and steer it on the right foot, and then it's just gorgeous, isn't it? And it is about power and chassis handling. The people in modern industry, motorbikes, they're noisy as well. Um, talk. Everyone gets excited. Journalists, it's got so much more talk. You know, we've got more talk now. I've raced a Cobra round here, you know, and people don't understand there is a thing as too much talk. Yeah. 
And with the E-Type coming out of the second lavant, you snick it up into third gear, you're already your opposite lot from second gear, then you just drift it progressively through the second half of lavant that starts the straight. Whereas a talky Cobra with a big violent V8, it's just snap, snap, snap. You can't actually, nobody can balance the throttle and, and progressively slide. When you follow a Cobra in a race, it just looks like the, the bloke's having a fight with it. Well, it could be a woman, but it, but it just looks like a, a slightly disorganised fight. I always admire them when I see them, but I think I'm really glad I'm in this Jaguar and not in that <laughs> bloody tank. They do move around a lot, but I thought this yesterday, a lot of that movement is throttle instigated. Is and it? so you expect the guys to fall out of the cars, knackered, these Cobra drivers, but actually it's just right foot movement that pivots Does it? so much of the yeah, cars. You movement. need a throttle Throttle that's got about 12 inches of movement, really. A TVR <laughs> throttle. As soon as you touch and talk. Remember, t- remember TVRs, the Tuscans, you used to go, am I there? Yeah. In, oh, it's down there somewhere. Oh, right. Tuscan racing. Oh, so we'll get no, you onto talking. that in a minute. Now, look, you, you are, without a doubt, um, the original racing driver journalist. And, um, and I'll, I'll sing your praises more in a minute. But just give us a very... Give us... If you can, I'm not sure, brevity's not your thing, Tiff. Give us three or four minutes as to how you ended up on the telly box, driving around and talking about cars. And, and, and how did you get there? Because I'm not sure everyone knows, unless they've read your book, which, which is available in all good bookshops. It is, and very cheap on Amazon now. Yep. As well. <laughs> yep, um, it was simply because um, a regular Top Gear presenter, Chris Goffey, broke his leg ice skating uh, the week before he was going to test the Formula First racing car. And uh, I'd already been with the BBC doing Murray Walker, uh, expert analyst of live Formula 2, Formula 3. When James Hunt was the Grand Prix analyst, you were James Hunt couldn't be bothered till the national. So I did rally cross touring cars because all those were live on grandstand, yeah. wonderful live TV. So the BBC had my name and they'd heard me talk and uh, I was writing track tests for Autosport magazine at the time. Just any job as usual and still doing it now, earn another dollar somewhere. Uh, so, you know, the, the producers of, of Top Gear read my stories in Autosport. They'd heard my voice on uh, on the grandstand doing the commentary. So uh, they just called me straight up and, can you drive for us this weekend at Brands Hatch in the Formula First? So I what, was in. What year was that? Oh, I don't know about that. 1987. Uh, 80, 87. I was going to say, I can yeah, tell you because I remember that onboard video Formula 4 test and you taught me everything about brands and how to drive a racing car and change gear and check my revs on the exit of paddock to see if I'd take if I'd come out quicker in fourth, not third, or whatever it was. And I must have watched that a hundred times over and that I think was 88 or something because that, my think, dad did Formula 1st and that's why I, yeah. I saw it. But it was actually quite funny because before I did that film, you know, we all watched Grand Prix drivers on television and I was get a bit embarrassed sometimes because it does look a bit easy. You know, you look, you look at Lewis Hamilton now chasing down, you know, Verstappen to Hungary absolutely on the limit and it's so non-visible with the power steering especially deadening the steering. He just turns in, turns out. So before I went there, I thought, well, look, I've got to make this look exciting. So I deliberately did the oversteering moments. So right from the word go, uh, I'd started the power You were sliding. a pantomime dame exactly. from the start. <laughs> Even though I actually knew, remember this is where your dad went wrong, Sam, he copied that, that you shouldn't really be that sideways in a single-seater racing car. So, so a generation <laughs> of young racing drivers basically yes. were taught to drive yeah. like rock apes because you wanted to make <laughs> some good television. But funnily enough, it actually backfired. Because when I did more and more Top Gear, I thought, this is brilliant now. They'll want a Top Gear presenter. All the professional teams will be hiring me for touring cars or whatever. But in fact, I think the team managers seen me and think, look, no, we don't want him driving like that. Yeah. But obviously, I wouldn't drive like that in a race. Maybe a load um, of your engineers thought, ah, now we know what the problem yeah. was. 
he's been a rock ape all this time. So but then I, they were so impressed that they then asked me back to do. And that first item, they never, I never took my helmet off. Chris Goffey still presented the item. Bizarrely, I was the stig that talked. Were you? Yeah, because they, I never saw my face. Item number one, if you watch it back, it's just me doing the onboard talking and driving and Chris Goffey doing the, the presenting of the item. So uh, it was a helmet on show. Only the second show did you finally reveal the true handsome, gallant face of young <laughs> Tiffany Dell. Deary me. Um, well, so, so from my perspective, what always stood out for me was there was this bloke that could drive. You know, I loved the entertainment side. They had other characters, whether it was, you know, the Goffey era or the Woolard era. Then you, then you moved to Jeremy and you had Quentin and the others and, and some great chemistries there that get forgotten because of the, the profound success of the, of the Three Amigos over the last 15, 20 years. But, you know, before that, you know, in the, in the 90s when it, was, when it was you guys, it was a big show and it was, and it was and you were real personalities and it was, it was huge. But I, I always gravitated towards what Tiff did because there was this bloke that could drive. And of course, it's ironic that we're here at Goodwood because there was one film that, that above all others, that, that 94, you come here in a McLaren F1 and I still can't believe that. It just looked, it looked violent. You were just wrestling this bloody thing around the track and it was pitching and yawing and, and doing one tyre smokers because it had no diff in it. And I remember thinking, and that was the moment I thought, I'm doing that. I'm doing that for a living. Well, I don't. If, if that bastard gets paid to do that, <laughs> then I'm doing that. But you look at that now—that chassis pitching and rolling, as you say. You know, compared to a modern supercar, it looks horrendous, doesn't it? Yet that, at the time, that was brilliant. You know, you, you must have thought this this could fall off at any point. It was. It was, it was a bit of a wild lap. But you know, then then the producers you know, they let me do another lap. I mean, the old days, you know, the '90s of Top Gear, they did let you have an 11-minute item. You know, on a car like that. Whereas now, I find the items are cut down. You get seven minutes or six minutes. You know. So I think people love that. I did one wild lap and then did another, you know, another wild lap, which nowadays would be cut and, and into pieces. Also, the, I did the item, we started looking at the way it was built. We actually went through the process of building, went shopping in it. Yeah. And then we had the wham at the end. Because I found nowadays, modern producers, they were just, you've got to start the item, sideways, smoking tires. Yeah, you know, they, they don't let you build it. A lot of that's come from the YouTube side yeah. where you had to get, you know, Neil and I worked out early on that you had to get a money shot, as we call it, early on to get the attention then you then the retention's there yeah. but if you left it too late i think um i think certain people on top gear refer to it as getting you know get your shiny fruit yeah. out the front well fifth gear was the same i mean the funny thing with that idol is again because it built up slowly so many people remember the moment on the dual carriageway when i turned and said but what i've been waiting to do and what you've all been waiting to do is this. And yeah. I nailed So the first time I nailed the throttle was halfway through the item almost, you know, and then we were off and running. And I suppose uh, it was a gentler time for gentler television, wasn't it? Yeah. But that, but, but what, Chris, what you've gone on to do with all your slidey, slidey stuff, particularly on YouTube, being a whole programme in that style is what we always wanted Top Gear to be when we were watching Tiff it was the last five ten minutes of the show normally where suddenly finally Tiff would be given the keys to something exciting and he'd go drifting around mountainous hairpin bends and I remember speaking to mates at the time thinking we need to make a show that's just like that from start to finish because that's the I only bit, bit worth now, watching well, that, was the, well, that, was it. that was the bit you know I loved the other presenters obviously because it was a car show and, and pe people who have YouTube now and, and just the limitless amounts of car media won't realise what it was like. If you were a teenager 
in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s like me, there was nothing. You had car magazines. They came out once a month. So you'd buy car, performance car, fast lane. That'd be done in a day. So they're done. There was no internet, no nothing. So, you know, you couldn't just go online and have a look at a video of a load of 79 or a Porsche 917 or, or Tiff sliding around. You had to wait for your fix of Top Gear because then it would arrive. And you'd ha- you would have to go through the Motor Show report and then there'd be, you know, one leg up on a bumper talking about boot space. And it, it was a bit like a, a really unfortunate bag of wine gums. You know, you want a red or a black one, but there was an awful lot of yellows and greens to get through <laughs> to get to actually get to the bit that you wanted. Here we go, smoke. Uh, and, um, but, and lovely, I, but also the lovely thing, that the, the cars used to all slide and handle. And this is the funny thing now. I mean, unless it's a hypercar with mega power, there aren't many normal cars that you can pitch in and play with and slide around because you can't turn half the autonomous. But, but if, if we're honest with you, do we cover those normal cars well, no, anymore? anymore? We don't. We just sadly. I'll talk, you just mentioned, but I've got to go back two minutes. You mentioned the Lotus Seventy Nine. I was bleeding for you when I saw you with shiny, shiny, slick tires. In the oh, rain. God, your opportunity to drive that car. Such is life. You made a great job, I have to say, but I could I know what I, did, I would have I, felt I, like. I it. did one I did it was wet and I did one skid which they recorded because <laughs> that wasn't made up and I did one skid coming out of the hairpin at Hethel. And um, I just thought, if I get this wrong, it's going to be a hell of a news story. chance so. to drive that iconic car, you know. Because I, I drove that Williams Formula One car for fifth yeah, year. You yeah. know, I still remember that. To get given that, I was about 52 years old or something, and Williams agreed to be driving uh, their Grand Prix car in this comparison to the M5, Vicky driving the M5, and I had to do three laps before she did four, or four laps before three. And just to be put back in a Grand Prix car... But, you know, my neck was gone in two laps. I couldn't keep my head up straight. And I was no, I wailing around. I drove the, um, and I can't say too much, but I drove the IDR, the, the crazy Volkswagen thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Electric that went up the hill. Mm. I drove that for, for the TV show a couple of weeks ago. And um, I couldn't get all the way around the circuit we were on. I got three quarters of the way around and I had to just do the thing where you leave your neck. I'm not, I haven't wow. built my neck up at all. I'm reasonably chunky and strong. But the thing's pulling 5Gs everywhere. It goes. And the braking performance is just absurd. Yeah. I've never driven a car with brakes like that. And it's doing 0 to 125 in under five seconds. It's quicker than an F1 car accelerating. If, you, wow. if you're not conditioned for it, yeah. you can't do no, it. No, I was gone. But, but to come back to it. So, so there was this bloke, right, who, who had this incredible vo- vocal range. And his voice, voice would go up and down. And he could really pedal. And he could talk at the same time, and not many drivers could. You know, I'd always we'd always seen racing drivers that could make the car look expressive and drive it, but they couldn't talk. So we'd had sort of, you know, that wee Jackie now and again would do something, wouldn't he? But he'd be um, like, nah, I can't. That, that, but this was the man. He was. He was, de- and he was the progenitor of everything that you see on YouTube. Every every idiot you see like me going sideways, you're responsible for. The daddy of the Stigs. Yeah. Yeah. Guilty. Um, Guilty. And, I, and I, I hope you know that. But the thing is, I love the fact that you rage against age, don't you? You rage against it. In your head, you're still 30, aren't you? <laughs> not even that old, no. I mean, I just love, I just love driving cars. I don't think the thing, I'm not really a car f- fan because I'm a racing driver. That we discussed up, this know. with Sam on the previous podcast. You know. that the, don't make the mistake of thinking that racing drivers are into cars. In many respects, no. road cars you're are totally bored, yeah. boring to them because they are so flawed I mean, and your, crap. I read your tweets about Porsches. And I, oh, what, what's a 962B4 GT? And he's... he's you know, he's absolutely raving. Oh, God, I saw a 968. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. They're either 911s or they're not. And, and uh, I've just never had a passion for road cars. And I feel guilty sometimes because the fans all think, you know, I've got this huge passion. They are literally machines to take me from A to B because I've had so much luck. And obviously, I've driven all these fantastic cars on tracks and raced. And 
I just enjoy getting to anything and driving it to the limit and feeling what it has underneath you. But you would well. get into M5s and slide them around and enjoy yeah, that. Yeah, I think that was the first drifting video. I think the M5 did that big circle non-stop with yeah. the tyres smile. That was the first time cars and we was comparing with the with the Merc, I don't know which Mercedes it was. E fifty five. We had that drift under a boom for the first time where I came fully sideways. And that was about the first drifting on telly, I think, which kicked it all off as you say. And but the trouble is then the, I had to slide everything. I was doing three sixty spins in Bentley Continentals and thought I hate to know what that did to the chassis because the slow mo showed all the wheels. I I had four of us on board doing a three sixty spin at the camera and the noise from what we I don't think a Bentley ever survived. So when it was you, Jeremy Vicky and Quentin as the yeah. main host. You were a famous man, weren't you? It was a big show, and I presume you got a lot of a fair amount of publicity, and you got a lot of attention out and about. But not the sort of corporate work. The funny thing is, we were we had the same sort of six million audience or something in the mid nineties. But there wasn't. We didn't have the extra work which comes nowadays. You get offered lots of corporate deals and stuff. Are you? Well, well, no, the more you know, you know, handsomer one, the better looking. The other presenters. two get loads. Um, <laughs> So although we were very famous, we didn't really know it. I mean, you know, we didn't, there was no real recognition. We didn't go on any chat shows or we didn't go on any game shows or we didn't go on any reality. So I didn't really know how famous we were, apart from when you sort of met people shopping in the supermarkets. But it's all, the, the idea of a car show has always been so non-BBC, hasn't it? It's always been this thing that they go, we can't believe it's so popular, but it's there and they can just do what they want, really. So were you out of Pebble Mill at that point? Or were yeah, you wonderful Pebble Mill for years, you know, but very low budget. It was always, you know, the, the salaries we had then were a joke compared with what was some of them. I mean, obviously you don't, but, you know, Freddie and sort of money other people get. Um, there was no money in it. And all, every show, it was so funny. I can remember talking to Rory Reid recently or a while ago because I talked about all my life. It's been one day to film a story with one cameraman, one sound man, one director and me, four of us. I said to Roy, now what's it like, Top Gear? You know, because it was just after, in fact, he'd done his first item and he looked a bit surprised at me. He said, Well, we went to New York for five days and there were 20 crew. I, I dreamed of doing that once in my life and it, it's changed a lot. I mean, obviously, you're, you've got a big crew now and Clarkson's more quite a big crew. Do you still go out with little small crews and do a little story on your own? I try and persuade them to do smaller stuff, but they would never do one camera anymore. They'd always have a minimum of two cameras and um, you'll always end up with 10, 15 people, yeah. which is what happens. The, but the web stuff I still do with Nilo, and that is very much, you know, just the two of us. Maybe one might have one other person do a bit of tracking driving. Sometimes it's simpler. Sometimes I get very jealous of these big crews. Cause no, I think it's nice to have both. What you tend to what you tend to crave is the thing that you've not got at that time. So yeah. when you've got a massive crew, you're like, God, this is slow moving. The inertia is terrible. We're just we're not making flowing television here. It's just too static, and it's it's punctuated the whole time by having to move this enormous bunch of people everywhere. <laughs> And then when you're on your own, you think, oh, God, I wish I had three Someone other cameras. A coffee. Yeah, Someone make a cup yeah. of coffee for me. Where's my sushi? Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a big old beast now. And it, and it, it just takes time. And, of course, what's, what's, what the audience wants from a Top Gear is very different from what it wanted back then. You know, they want an entertainment show. They want the laughs. You know, if we start... What you were doing was... You know, you were the you were the beginning end of m- making entertainment. You know, we yeah. were we were sharing the joy of you driving this car in an exuberant fashion. But now the audience would view that as probably being too sterile. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's too much about the car. I mean, if I start if I talk for more than thirty seconds about a differential, the other two just just say, "I'll oh, shut him up." Well, you? those two that bully you, I'm very sad. I'm very worried for you, Chris. I am, I've yeah. read on the internet I know. that you're being bullied. I'm badly bullied, and yeah. I, as you can imagine, I'm easily bullied. Yeah. Oh yeah. I can yeah. see what a little flower yeah. you are. Yeah. You know. Absolutely, absolutely <laughs> terrified. 
when that when that came out, it was absolutely hilarious because I, I I did I did yeah much as they love to publicise a fight, I did go to a boarding school and I did get the shit kicked out of me <laughs> most days, largely because I'm a chippy little bastard. And um, so when someone uh, there's nothing like and I obviously I'm a, I've got I've got a little bit of a tan about me the whole time, mm-hmm. and um, I love the fact that the people that were outraged on my behalf were normally sort of middle class white males saying you're being bullied. You know I'll I'll decide whether I'm being bullied or not. I really am. But not. But, uh, but you still have to do a few things that you probably don't like doing yourself and you have to go with the role at times. I mean, yeah, I remember yeah, seeing no. you having light bulbs on your head. Yeah, but they stopped all that. They stopped yeah, all that. So you must have not enjoyed that. No, I do, and I, I said to Alex Renton, you'd probably know Al, and, and I said at the beginning, when I, when, I did, when I agreed to do Top Gear, I said, I'm not, I'm not doing any of the silly stuff. I don't, I'm not interested in that at all. I'll road test the cars and I'll go along on a trip. And I, st- I was stood there wearing the Pantometer 3000 yeah. with a pair of, and I'm like, what's happened to me? And he said, you got, well, just trust us. But the, but, and it, it did work for those films, but the beauty of the two new ones is they're so naturally funny, we can do some straighter stuff. Like, yeah. you can go and do The Loads of 79 now without cocking about. Yeah. It's a straight love story. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. You it was can go and do that because, frankly, McGuinness is, and, and Flintoff are hilarious and, and they make the other stuff funny. So, uh, it was a brave choice. I'm happy with what they did. I, I'm in another era. I'd like to. I'd like Top Gear to be you, me, and a couple of other, and a Plato, and you know, a, yeah. a load of blokes that love the same thing. But it would be probably quite one note because we kind of like the same things, and our approach to cars would be turn up, have a massive race, see who doesn't die. You know that would, and that you know that would happen then, on a weekly And then talk about whether or not the, the ratios were appropriate, yeah, yeah. and yeah. then whinge about who had the best car. Yeah. So that so you you got to sometimes you have to step back and trust people that that are higher up the food chain and, and what they know works for an audience. Sometimes they get it completely wrong. And, and yeah, I've got that in fifth gear actually. The moment somewhere up the food chain thinks they know what fifth well, gear. Right, so come on like. then. This, this could be your soapbox. So they're they're making a fifth gear, but they're not making it with you. And I think that's a bit sacrilegious because you're you are fifth gear too. Yeah, I haven't. I mean, I haven't actually put it on the internet. I probably will soon. But when this goes out, this okay. could be the launch. I'm gonna of put, my okay, I'm going to put this out. This will go out for the just ahead of the revival weekend, so we can pick up what you're doing at the revival and everything. So 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 you're not yeah, no. doing so you're not doing fifth gear. Yeah, there's a new series of fifth gear being filmed now, and uh, someone at Discovery UK decided that the show will be a better show without. And that's the exact either. phrase that came back. Yeah. We're moving on. We're changing the format. You're a bit salty about this, aren't you? Well, the format's the same. I mean, there's nothing changing in the sort of items they're doing. They're exactly the same. But um, they just someone there doesn't like me. Do you think you were exciting the female audience too much? I don't know. <laughs> ageist, obviously. It's ageist. I don't. But, but people get into the powerful positions, and you have to go with the flow. Have you, you can't have you fight pi- it. Have you pissed someone off? Don't know. I've never met the per- the person that's decided they don't like me. I've never met. Don't even know. Yeah, the but name. I've pissed a lot of people off. I've never met. Yeah, no. On the, on the I internet. might have. I might have pissed them off somewhere. But anyway, but although that is very sad because I, I was pivotal. I created Fifth Gear, so that makes it even sadder. Really, it's a program I created. That but now you've got something else to do. Yeah. So fortunately, it means I'd be doing more on Love Cards. So Love Cards is a YouTube show which I do with Paul Woodward, and we have a lot of fun mucking about. I really enjoy doing it. It's light and casual. Uh, he's also got a TV show he's trying to work on at the moment, so I could be back on TV. But Love Cards show. So expand doing more of that. We've got nice stories to come out. To Cohen's when Fifth Gear comes out, we've got some rather nice tiff on Love Cars stories to come. <laughs> you, you're so <laughs> impish. What you so if you, many of you won't know Tiff. You'll know who he is, but you won't know him as a person. What what you see is what you get. You know, it's not difficult getting him to talk about any subject. Um, 
But what you need to know that you probably don't know is that you know he's, he's getting on a bit. How old are you now? Oh, 67. So he's 67 years old, right? And now a lot of racing drivers or professional drivers, they do reach a point, don't they, Sam, where they drop off. You know, they, they can't quite do it. Yeah, Every, apparently it happens about down. 67. Yeah. <laughs> but but what, what you need to know is that Tiff is still absolutely on the money with the car control game. So a few years ago, I don't know, some of you might have seen a film that I did with Neil and Tiff and Marino Franchitti. We went to... Portimao circuit and we were driving LaFerrari, the, the, you know, the, 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 the three hypercars of the time, the LaFerrari, the 918 and the P1. And I said to Tiff, we can't do this without you, you've got to get you along. It's just going to be a week drinking wine, cocking about in other people's cars. It turned out to be quite good fun. And, um, and you know, Tiff just turns up with a bit of a hangover from being at Twickenham the night before. Yeah, I think well, that's it. true. And, yeah. he, and he jumps straight in a LaFerrari and just is fully sideways for a whole lap straight away he's absolutely got it and, and I and he'll, he'll blush with this you know there's only about there's a handful of people that I really would rate to get in a car wring its neck to make it look right for the camera and to make noises and talk and entertain people at the same time and he's still on that list and he shouldn't be at his age he shouldn't be and one thing magic, I will say to you few days. you utter hypocrite is that you're always on Twitter saying that racing drivers when they get to a certain age should just sod off and let the young ones the Grand Prix drivers yes yeah. correct and I think TV presenters should as well because oh. you, you're, you're, you're too good at this age you well I've just... sodded off now I've been sodded off by someone else <laughs> so that, that an opportunity is arising now fifth gear if you're a young presenter thinking there's a chance there obviously Discovery UK looking for new talent what's the, what's the but best? that was a great I should thank you really for inviting me on that film because that was absolutely epic it was a shame because one of the cars let us down at the end of the day we couldn't do the Shh. extra sliding we shots can't say, we can't say which, which one, one it was yeah. but however I, I do want to pick you up right now yeah. because you and Marino piked out of the final answer you were the one that said right you've got to pick one car which is it so I went first and I was honest and true knowing that the other two were going to follow and said the Ferrari Marino goes next oh I'd have to have all three. Well, I suppose if you've got access to his father-in-law's museum, you probably could have all three. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, Marino's piked out. At least Harris will come up with a definitive answer of which one. Which uh, I'll have the one I last drove. Which nobody can remember which one he last drove. So nobody knew actually which one being, he was referring to. It was being to. deliberately mauve. Yeah. But I now... So what was so the so which one no. would you prefer of those three? P1 is the one I'd have. Okay. I, think, I think time's been... Very kind to the P1. It just looks amazing. Every time yeah, I see whistling one. whistling turbo. The Ferrari, LaFerrari was oh, just... How can you oh, not Sam. take a LaFerrari? Yeah. I'd have the P1. I'd have the P1. I mean, that LaFerrari was sensational. Oh. I, was, I was following... You know, I was basically stuck up his exhaust pipes with him fully sideways coming out that last corner just and the noise coming out the back oh. of it. Just thinking, these... You can buy one of these as a civilian. You need to be very rich. <laughs> but you should need a special license to drive it because they're so fast, aren't yeah. they? Well, I've got a theory, I wrote a column about this years ago, that we're getting too much power into road cars and then we should actually self-limit ourselves. I've got this brilliant idea. You see, Beati Chiron, one day a 19-year-old from some country wherever is going to plough into a bus lane full of pedestrians. Well, it's all we have for all of us, won't yeah, it? Yeah, we all have. So I came up with this brilliant idea that we should self-legislate because I get bored with every new Porsche 911. You might you wear a Porsche 911s or a sports car from yeah, Germany. You might yeah, know what they are. Yeah. So every new one comes out, has to have 35 more horsepower. It's going on and on and on. So if we self-register, so we said a supercar, maximum 700 horsepower, a touring a GT car, 500, a, a sports saloon, 400, front-wheel drive car, 250, right? So every new Porsche 911 that comes out, comes out with the regulation 600 horsepower and does another five miles to the gallon. Yeah. We look greener. 
out. We still keep our supercars because if you drive a McLaren F1 with 624 horsepower, whatever it is, without 10,000 computers on board, it's enough power for anyone on the public roads. Well, I don't, I just, I mean, I, I'm normally against this argument, partly because I, I feel that it, the moment you start to admit that that's a problem, it's the thin end of the wedge, and you, and you give them an, you give, you basically empower the people that want, want to stop us having fun. Yeah. But, but I do, I, I see it now. They're too, I don't know what you Launching do. Launching Lamborghinis into trees in 30 mile an hour speed. And what's that all about? Zones, when I got, a, I got a load of grief on social media from people yeah. by saying I thought that was wrong, but, but I, I'd ban launch control. Yeah. Ban yeah. launch control. Yeah. But reduce the power. We don't need... Because when you get a Bugatti and you open the throttle, you don't have 1,500 horsepower. The computers are always a bit wet. You've got a bit of lock on. You can have 300 horsepower now. Yeah. You haven't got that, one at all. That's the problem. There's such a safety net of gizmos to save all these drivers from themselves. And one day, the yeah, gizmos they can't, can't they keep can, up with They the can situation. turn them off. And one of the problems is, sooner or later, they'll say there's no off button. Yeah. Some but yeah, but most manufacturers keep a little bit in there somewhere. AMG Mercs always seem to have a There's little bit lurking. And they're quite clever. They look at the last input. So if your last input was a brake input, then the ESP will come back on, even if you've turned it off. But if, you, if you're doing a sideways shot and you just coast in, it'll give you everything. Even though it's got a lot, it's, yeah. it's the previous input they look at. Well, it's when no. that McLaren spat me off. You know, I got a lot of trouble from McLaren for filming that and saying, this is what happened, the MP412C. Because it had no they diff, did it? It had a sort of four-wheel open, four-wheel braking. Yeah. And they told me after what happened, because I was power sliding out of a corner, and just I'm feathering off to regain the grip, to slowly reintroduce did something grip. come back in, it break it a wheel? cut the torque. No, it cut the torque. He I said, oi, boy, we think you're about to crash. So the torque of the engine was just halved. So the rear tyres just gripped, and it just spat me straight mm. left. So did you hit anything or just go off on no the rock? No, he missed all those landing lights, but it could have been... I've moved the cameraman as well. Though let's go back. Before. Let's go. Let's go back in time. Because what a lot of people who watch you on the internet now won't know is that you, did, you know, you, you raced in Formula One. Um, well, you you qualified in Formula I One. I only ever wanted to be a racing driver. I, I did you. race. I raced the one race. You did. Was it Monaco? You did. No, didn't Where qualify did you? Monaco. But my greatest driving Mon- as I qualified. Tell us, tell us about your F1 race. I want to hear it. <laughs> I want to hear Tiff speak about driving an F1 car in an F1 race. Come on. So Clay Reggett's only broke his back in Long Beach. Yeah. And I'm listening to American forces overseas on my little wireless in bed at home because it was, you know, hours behind. I thought, blooming hell, this could be, you know, I've driven for Unit Park before. You always think that there's racing drivers. Someone's injured. It doesn't happen much these days, so the youngsters don't get And spot. that was the mindset, was it? So- yeah, phone was, up tomorrow morning. How soon do you phone? You so you're not know. thinking, is Clay all right? You're thinking, I might get a drive. He'd broken his back. Well, that's all right. He's alive. So you're straight away. Your first, but then you think, how soon do you phone? You know, so, oh, gosh, I started so phone Unipark because I knew them. They were the sponsors. And then, oh, here's a chance. And then the team were looking for Mike Thackwell, was the young boy of the day, you know. They took him out to Zolder, in fact, to do the test. Because the Belgian, was, I thought the Belgian club was Zolder and not Spa. But I drove out in my little Ford Capri, my 10-year-old 1600 Ford Capri. I drove out to Zolder and what stood on the fence. What level of Lothario were you in a Ford Capri? It was good. It had a vinyl roof. had a brown vinyl. Orange, like my crash helmet, good colour. So I drove out there. Which Mike Thackwell what drove year are we two now? days. 1918. Yep. So he turned it down because he didn't like the car that much. It was a shitbox. You know, it was a back-of-the-grid Grand Prix car. What was it? An Ensign? It was a dr- Ensign, yeah. Ensign, yeah. And in those days, you know, 30 cars you'd turn out for every Grand Prix, but only the fastest 24 got yeah. the grid. So anyway, so oh, I'm not going to get that drive. And there was a Formula 2 race at Nürburgring. So I drove on to the Formula 2 race in the Orange Capri. So I didn't have a drive at all at that stage. I, and I actually, bizarrely, did some laps for the guy. I had my helmet, wheel travel, nearly got a race in the Formula 2. But that didn't happen. Then the phone call came. I said, like, you better get back home quick. So I 
the little Capri flew back home, but I was off with the drive with the ensign. I had half a day's testing at Donington, and then I was out qualifying at Zolder, you know, where you're only the fastest 24. So I qualified 23rd out of the 30, which is the same as Reggett's only had at Long Beach. So, it was the so you're on the performance yeah. of the car? But of course, it was Who's a single teammate? car team. That, oh, it was a single that's car the team. problem. Yes, yeah, so so even got... a single note is so. So Mo Nunn was saying, I said it understood this car, it's understeering a bit. Oh, Clay never said he did. Clay said it oversteered. Clay says it oversteered all the time. Clay. So I had this battle, he just wouldn't believe me, you know. And later, at the end of the year, the designer actually said what I'd told them would have cured their problems. Because over the famous crest before where Vion had that crash, the steering was locking up, it was tightening over the crest. And the car was understeering, as I said, it was understeering. And when he thought back, what had happened was as soon as the monocoque, the chassis were old, because they were aluminium tubs, once they got soft, the stiff new aluminium would grip and oversteer. But what was happening with mine, I had a soft used monocoque, and when it was twisting, which caused the understeer, it was tightening the steering rack. So if they'd listened to me at Zolder, they might have learned what the problem with their and Everyone should listen to Tiff. He can so solve anyway, every problem. Third world set. I qualified and I sat on the back row of the grid of the Belgian Grand Prix. And there alongside me was Emerson bleeding Fittipaldi. Really? Could My you hero. See, could you see his sideburns in his helmet? Yes, you could. They're, they're coming out of his lid. In front of me were KK Rosberg. Some bloke, and I was there on the back row of the grid of the Belgian Grand Prix. But at that moment, at that moment, are you thinking, wow, I can't believe I'm here? Or are you thinking... I just want to race. Yeah, I just I didn't know what I was doing, really. Because it all happened so... I actually sat in the back of the grid going... Dum, duh, duh, dum, duh, duh. I did. I literally... <laughs> I didn't know what else to think. What did I think? <laughs> so for 12 laps, I battled with Emerson for the Pauli for the honour of being last in the 1980 Belgian Grand Prix and the engine broke. Then we went out to Monaco. They gave me another shot at Monaco. But Monaco, only the fastest 20 got on the grid out of 30 cars. And it, I just made the... In those days, as is now, Monaco Formula One is on Thursday and Saturday. Right, Friday's always a day off. But in those days, the one-hour practice on Thursday was qualifying, and the one-hour on Saturday was qualifying. So you had an hour's qualifying just to do what you were in and out. And in the wet Monaco, this is my greatest achievement in life that nobody knows about because it didn't get anywhere. I was 19th in the rain around Monaco out of the 30. I was three thousandth millionths of a second behind Alain Prost and his Renault. So I was on the grid. I was 19th and on the grid on Thursday. So I all day Friday walking around, thunderstorms, rain, you know, kill. And then the Saturday, unfortunately, the warm-up, you had a one-hour untime session each morning. I clipped the chicane curb, which should then, and the chicane coming onto the sea, you came out of the tunnel, right? Yeah. And you came, it was a central reservation with like three-foot-tall concrete, and they just cut out a section of the three-foot-tall concrete curb. So you just went through a gap where there was no extra, it was just boom. And I just clipped with one of the rims and it broke a pickup point in the chassis. So the afternoon qualifying in the dry, I had to go out in a completely fresh chassis, short wheelbase version, had to bed in brakes, ended up up the skate road at Sand in Vogue, all the brakes faded as you had to, braking, you had to, to bed in pads in those days, you had to do slow laps, bring in the heat slowly, overheat them, cool them, so, so that was you know time. So I didn't qualify for the 1980. In fact, I've ended up crashing into the swimming pool barriers trying to get the recalcitrant ensign on the grid. Uh, but then I was sacked after that. They actually wanted, the, there was an American investor in the team, Jan Lammers, the very talented young Dutchman, who'd qualified fourth at Long Beach when Rigard Zenit crashed in, in the ATS, which is a shitbox. See, I've watched that recently. So he was the stunning kid. He was the boy. They were, even when I was at Zolder, the Belgian Grand Prix, there was little meetings here with Jan flipping Lammers were going on. I mean, that. They didn't believe me about the car. They thought Jan Lammers was faster. So he got the drive after Monaco, and he failed to qualify for the next six Grand Prix, not even in the 24. 
so it killed his career. But I mean, obviously, that made me feel better that you know it wasn't me; it was a shitbox. But, um, but you, you don't get but back you in. You know, again. Th they're wonderful stories. I'm sure you've told them a few times because many people have asked you. But now I'm I'm glad they're committed to our podcast. <laughs> but joking aside, do you look back and think, shit, I wish I'd had a better chance. I, I wish all these things had been different. Or do you think I did a Formula One race? And not many people can say yeah, that. No, I, th I think that. I'm always, you know, my glass is half full. Yeah. Um, obviously, looking back, I could have done so many things differently, you know. I mean, nowadays, you know, a racing drive, you kind of have sex before the race. You can't drink at all. You have to go to the gym. You have to do to a um, simulator for a week. You want to 59 for a race weekend, yeah, mate. Simulator. Not, we, we don't do much of that. Got to check which way I look. Uh, you've got to have a physical trainer, someone to paint your crash helmet for you. You've got to have, you know, masseurs in the truck. This is for a, you know, Formula 4 race. Yeah. So I think... Can you swear on this podcast? Yes, you can, yeah. Freaking yeah. hell. If I'd had of all of that, instead of being on pole position and winning a race by a second, I'd have fucking won those races by a lap. If I had all that. And wait, we, in Formula Ford in the 1970s, we never wondered why the little bloke, we always had a bent engine when the little blokes overtook you on the street. <laughs> we never, we nobody thought <laughs> that about weight. It's bizarre now when you think how obsessive we are. So big blokes, we all we all used to accuse them of bent engines. So I, I, you know, I would have obviously got on better knowing what I did. But you now. went on sports cars. Yeah, I'd, won, I'd grad Group C for ten years. I'm, I was lucky to hit the Group C when the Formula One failed. Just happened to be the beginning of Group C sports cars. So I did fourteen Le Mans twenty-four hour races. No, absolutely wonderful. Best time. finish was a third with a private Porsche. In fact, the top six were all factory cars in in nineteen ninety when we finished third. So it was we only beat by the two silk cut Jaguars and. Uh, Behind us was the factory Porsche. So you've got a pot. You've actually got you've yeah, got, got oh. bits and pots from Le Mans. So uh, yeah, you know, I would have done better if I'd known what I know now. But no, I mean, I, I don't actually believe I was a, a Clark or a Senna or a Schumacher. I now know, you know, that I wasn't a brilliant, naturally talented. But you know, we look at the Damon Hills or Gray's dad Graham. There's a lot of racing drivers that can still get the same lap time without the natural talent. You know. Driving fast isn't just the natural, brilliant talent. You've got to ally it to hard work and engineering and getting a car to work for you. Alan it depends Prost, on the area you're racing in as well, because, you know, as Vettel's proved, yeah. you know, with a blown diffuser, he was the man. But take yeah. his blown diffuser away, yeah. you know, he just suited that particular, his driving style and approach suited that car, didn't it? When, when they went, he was nowhere. Well, not nowhere, but he wasn't the same item, was he? Yeah, and no, I had a brilliant time. And I'm still racing. I'm still racing at Goodwood, you know, 60 years after I climbed up a bank, the bank we're looking at now, out of there, coming out of the chicane, I climbed up as about a four-year-old when my dad brought I me bet, here. I bet you were the noisiest, <laughs> loudest. I, bet, I mean, I'm accused I've of being loud, but you're different gravy. I was quiet for the first time in my life. I just stood there and watched these loud noises. I want this. Smell. I want this. Do, I you, want this. do you ever fall down a YouTube hole watching Formula One Grand Prix footage yes, of yourself? Yes, it's not of myself. You, it's not there. You know, it's about those it one is, little I, clip. I, and this that, week, I and stayed up till one a.m. It's broken down. That is there. That's about it. The race was it? Race of Champions, Brands Hatch. Oh 19. no, I was in that Aurora. That was yeah. yeah what Murray was Walker commentating. Yeah. Got Andretti fighting. I was in my Durex car. That is a real. That's not that's a rude word. I was in my Durex. That was the Aurora. So that wasn't Grand Prix. Did you get free French letters? Yes. Did you? The great thing of all the girls when I was racing, we they used to. The Marlborough girls were there, so I'd get free fags and I'd give them free condoms. It was a good exchange, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the other thing about myself, I, I'm a, I am the spectator from the terraces that became a Grand Prix driver. Because I clung to these fences around Goodwood for 10 years, you know, and watched Jim Clark Sterling Moss dreaming of being a racing driver. And then I you know, won that kind of magazine competition. So I'm literally the kid off the terraces that became a racing driver, dreaming. Because nowadays in all sports, it's hardly ever the enthusiasts. You know, you start karting. None of the Grand Prix grid now would have... 
stood on a fence and watched a Formula One race or watched any racing probably in their entire lives. I think that's a so sad and probably fair statement. I'm a fan. I'm a, I'm a racing fan. Given that you were growing up watching that period of racing where Drifty Drifty was the, the necessary and default star, did that inform your style? Have you always been this sort of drift king? Or yeah, it's got to look you good. It's got to look good. Because there was, you know, the Villeneuve style, wasn't there? <laughs> and then everybody else was a bit tidier. It has to look like you're on the limit, which brings us to track limits, which is obviously, as you well, know. I'll, <laughs> we'll do that in a minute. <laughs> Jesus Christ, but we'll do you, that in a minute. I think if nobody ever spins in a, in a day's racing, if the public never understand that you are near the edge of something, then there's no excitement We there. discussed this on the previous podcast. But this is the right circuit to discuss yeah, this. Exactly. If you're stood on the bank yeah. at Magwick and you watch an E-Type come yeah. through, you just see you the know. language of the car, you know it's on the it limit. It might crash any second It's now. sliding yeah. around. And, but you could you could deploy just as much skill in a modern GT3 car, but the, the yeah. they got no idea. Because the moment you get the thing moving around, yeah. the tyre goes off yeah. and you're done. Yeah. And I just think... I think I look at all forms of motorsport that really grab me visually, have slip angle, yeah. trophy yeah. trucks, rally driving, yeah. all that stuff. I, it really grabs me more, cause I, and I quite like to see what the driver's doing. I would put perspex everything on the side of the car so you can see what's going yeah. on inside. But I really admire what you guys do with your TV drifty drifty stuff, because in the few occasions that I've had to do, I find it really hard to switch off my sort of default racing driver setting of keeping everything <laughs> straight quite and theoretically quick, and I'll I can't dial into the drifty stuff. I wanted to ask Tiff about that, because I think it, it's a bit like being a hockey player and trying to play golf. Anyone that does those two, there's very few people that do that, will understand. If you're a hockey player, it's very difficult to play golf, because you've got so much bottom hand, you, it completely corrupts your golf swing. And in the same way, I find that if I've been filming for the telly and I've just spent four days ripping tyres to bits, going sideways, my, I really have to, ch I have to consciously, when I get in a race car at the weekend, a modern racing car, GT3 car, I'm terrible for the first 10 minutes. My teammates say I'm terrible all weekend. <laughs> but, but you really do. Because yeah, what happens is that for me, I think we've all got a sensor right on the end of your coccyx, right? It's, that's your key drift sensor that's where the gyro is placed and a, a great racing driver the moment that gyro senses slip angle a bolt goes up your back and your brain goes right back off it stop, stop Where, whereas mine and his i think are corrupted and um, i'm not saying anything about your ass no. tiff but but when i when i'm in race when i'm in drifty mode if i feel that sign my i grin and i go fuck it <laughs> and power let's get there we're on the limit yeah. we're getting there we're getting and, there now but that's not fast it's not fast, and the two are not that's the thing. Not mutually. Well, it uh, still is fast with you know E-types. It still is fast with the older cars. That, it know, is, but not but not modern great. cars. No, 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 no. And my, when I get that signal, my instant reaction is do whatever yeah, I need to do on the throttle and the steering to bring the car straight again. Yeah. So I find it really hard to dial out of that. But the, but these old cars, they they deal in delicate slip angles. They're small. Uh, you know, if you're if you're working ten to two around there quarter to three, then you're about right. But if you're going beyond that, yeah. you're going slowly and you're taking stuff out the rear tyre. So I think it's just it's just not overreacting to that initial signal and going with the slide, isn't it? Rather than being a yobbo. But how did you, for the first time you ever drove a historic race car here at Goodwood, I mean, I don't know about you, I, mine was a, a lightweight E-type and I thought it was going to throw me off and I nearly sort of stood down from the seat. I thought there's not a chance in hell I'm going to get this thing across the line without shunting it. But you get used to it. Yeah, I, di I didn't. I'd, I'd spent so much time looking at the side window of stuff. I have to say, it didn't worry me because it just it was felt sort of like what, a, you knew, it, it, what you know. I, I, it was. I, I remember it was the Lister, the Lister Coupe that comes out every year. It's just still my favourite old racing car. You've driven it. Well, I've driven Lister. No, I've driven the Coupe. But I've, I've driven it's Lister. Just it's mega. Yeah, and I just, I just thought this is. I have to say, oh, I just thought, why wasn't I doing this before? This is yeah. the kind of racing I want to be involved in. Nice slip angles, pretty 
delicate braking areas and just sliding cars around and feeling the move underneath you and seeing the crowd's response to a car that's properly that looks like it's alive yeah. on and four course, wheels you know, we didn't bang into each other in those days either that's the other difference because you know we were busy trying to not have an accident on our own well they do here don't they Tiff well yeah, well, yeah I know sometimes yeah, Lord, I'm not Lord March the Duke, the Duke. Richmond. Um, has he had words with you have you been told off or not of course not I'm a good boy have you like Chris but, made it to the public uh, TV wall of shame in the driver's briefing videos yeah there's lo- there's, there's, there's good footage no I don't think I have no, no. I don't, I've done nothing wrong I think if you had done we would we'd be but shouting no, about but it but going back to modern racing that's why you know because they are so controlled which is why we get more body banging and diving up the insides the excitement of modern racing is almost car to car impact rather than drifting visible so the, the, the entertainment now for a modern crowd isn't a car on its own on the edge I would say this that a formula is only exciting if watching one car go through corner on its own. Very good point. Is exciting. But it's also the modern stuff is like the, the, the touring but, cars, those horrible TCR things. Well, the yeah. only excitement is them hitting each other. But, the, but there's also a disconnect with television and the way that the way that television saps speed and energy from the racing car. I never forget the first time. I never used to go and watch Formula One races as a kid because my father, my parents weren't into the sport at all. They kept me away from it because they didn't want me to get too into it. But I only ever watched them on telly. And I remember the first time I w- ever watched an F1 car was probably 97, 98, Silverstone, when they did that, tire, that mid-season tyre test. I went to Beckett's Maggots and stood on the bank there and watched someone come through flat chat. I could not yeah. believe it. The speed and the energy and the noise was just and utterly the, captivating. The glowing brake discs there. It was just so fast. Just was that and going into the modern Beckett's bypass? No, that you was, were. yeah, going into the modern Beckett's. So you I come out Beckett's cops. bypass, yeah, yeah, in there, yeah. Have so, you not so seen, because that's right, you were that kid, maybe. Have you seen the motorbike one with a little four-year-old kid yeah, that's yeah, been yeah. around on social media? Yeah, yeah. And a motorbike goes by, and like, the go, kid just goes, ah, But I just couldn't, but I just, so, Have you I seen that? No, it's no, the no, best no, clip just, to show what excitement should be. Yeah, I love it. But I just couldn't, I was probably about 25 at the time, But but I just couldn't believe how much faster it looked in real life. And I got a much better sense of what these gladiators were able to do and, and having subsequently driven a couple of formula one cars one thing i'm i'm not you know it's very easy to be sniffy about the you know the ones at the very back of the grid it was always the minardis in my age <laughs> wasn't it you know the couple of minardis you just thought they were a bunch of knobbers and you were fairly convinced that you in your peugeot 106 yeah. xsi could take care of them because they're crap but anyone anyone that can just not crash a formula one car oh, no. is a hero yeah, they're me. good they're good drivers well there's no rubbish and a lot stroll gets a lot of stick but he's still a very very good he's not brilliant you know but yeah. he's good oh yeah, d- yeah exactly. you know there's no visibility in those cars oh, no. and they ra- they race wheel to wheel with in it these things have got a thousand horsepower now i mean they're not messing about are they no so I, I do have utmost respect for anyone that can get in a formula one car and not just stick it straight in the barriers frankly it's well, why you know taking the spectators so far away at these modern tracks is the other problem like you say you were excited because you were close to that speed and that's one of the few yeah. places on silver so you can go yeah. to but the actual yeah. fence is quite close to the cars um and this, that's so maybe all spectator you, points should be on the inside of the circuit and the pits should be on the outside of the circuit. Well, you could you would possibly. But Why not? But, that would work. But if you got close, I always think if I had spectators, like in the braking zone, you could be over the top of the cars. They could have their runoff straight ahead, but you can actually take the some stands you could take much closer in certain areas. Well, this is a good. So mm-hmm. Tiff Nadell's circuit design would have spectator areas over braking zones. How would, you do, how would you deal with track limits? Ah, I don't know. It's a, it's a big... <laughs> The problem is you have to have a limit because the whole skill of a racer driver, the ultimate skill is to be very fast, but inch, millimetre perfect. Ayrton Senna, all his onboards of Monaco or Imola I've seen and the huge curbs and he's just named every lap, you know. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And nowadays, you watch a series of Formula 1 cars come out of the first corner at Hockenheim, for example, and there's just there's one on the left and one in the middle and one over there. And they all, but they all end up doing the same speed on the next straight. So nobody's lost out. So you can now hooligan around a track. So the average driver that doesn't have the ultimate skill is so much closer to the brilliant driver. So we've got this gap that's closing and closing and closing. So the only way you can reward the really talented driver is to somehow give him tighter limits. Now, if we don't want to be injured, which is obviously why we have safety limits runoff, then we have to have runoff. But then if the runoff isn't police somehow, either by these time penalties, which people hate, or, you know, I, I think a very slippery bit of AstroTurf, so as soon as you're off the track, you have to, back, you have to somehow make people back off. They have to lose well, time. They, yeah, so if, if, you could, if we have enough, I mean, there's enough technology in the cars to control anything. So if you, if you have the ability to have a DRS system that can work within, if you get, get within one second of the car in front, yeah. why couldn't you have a sensor that said, right, you were outside the track limits, you lose 15 horsepower yeah, for the next lap. You yeah, that could yeah. another way. So I think that I agree there should be a penalty. You have to lift it. It has to make you slow. So you've lost your time by going off the road. You know. it's, 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 it sounds in principle when you're sitting around a table talking about it to be the armchair expert, so easy to police yeah. this and work mm-hmm. out a solution. But when you get to a race meeting, you see the mayhem that goes on and the way the circuits have been designed. And, and it has to, be, has to be said, the priority of safety, it's a real problem. But the one but, place... But as soon as it's wet, yeah. they stay they, within they the track. They don't even do that, do they? Yeah. If you see the AstroTurf, if they put wheel on the AstroTurf, they spin. Well, that, love, it should be in the drive. I love the way old Charles Leclerc was moaning about the last corner at, at, um, yeah, being perfect. too slippery. Yeah. It's like, perfect. What? The yeah. runoff area being yeah. too slippery. It's like, well, well, you shouldn't be yeah. out there, really. It's not it should high be speed course. Where's you know you've been out there a few times, you have as well. Where's the one place where no one takes the Mickey on track limits? The Nurburgring. You go on to Nordschleife, yeah. you don't hear drivers going, "I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm being, I'm being pinged for track limits." Because if you go out there, you kill yourself. Spa has been ruined to me. I mean, yeah. Spa was just the most magical circuit and doing no rouge in a Group C car with walls each side of you. Still feels quite grown oh, up now. Do you remember coming coming through the old bus stop chicane, where you had to launch it over the curbs, and you're desperately trying to keep it out of the armco on the right? Oh, and Blanchemont, I only did it. Oh, once. that was scary, Blanchemont, because Blanchimont. it had a horrible curb on the exit. Yeah. Know, if you just ran that curb, it would just turn you sharp left. I mean, you'd, you'd virtually flat out in a group seat, 170 miles an hour. So th- the limit was there. Club corner, which I write in my book, still available on Amazon, by the way. Tiff gear, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Tiff gear. The club corner at Silver is really fast. It had the most gnarly curbs. It wasn't consistent like an FIA designed curb. And you, you knew if you were an inch not getting the curb, you were two miles an hour slow for the long run up to Abbey. But if you were an inch faster and hit that bloody nerdy curb, it would just grab you and pitch you, and, and the wall was then 10 feet to your left. I, I will Huge say, I, I, so you I had mean, that 
edge to build up there, to. Are, there are arguments against the way the circuits are designed and the, and the way they run. There are arguments about the cars being too easy to drive, which could, you could spend hours on. But I still believe in one thing, that there's always one bloke or woman who's faster than all the others. I just think there are... one, And I think whatever you give them, whatever technology they've got at the time, whether they've got paddles or gear levers or two pedals or three pedals or wide circuits or thin circuits, dangerous circuits, safe circuits, they tend to be the quickest. I do believe that Lewis... It's just the gap is so small now. It's point two. I know. Jim Clark's day, he could be two seconds quicker than a very, very good... But, you know, for me, Lewis is... The man at the moment. Yeah, yeah I just, agree. Whichever yeah. era he was in, he was going to be... Now, we've got great Grand Prix racing coming. I mean, we don't know how to change the new cars going to be in 2021. But, I mean, the fantastic prospect of Leclerc and Verstappen and uh, Norris and... Um, Williams. Our other British George driver. George Russell. Russell. Russell, you know, all coming on. I mean, it's the most fantastic... It's going to be fantastic. I don't know you. The, the, one, the one aspect of, of, of racing cars that I would... I'd love to see manual gearboxes. And when yeah. you, when you well, watch you onboards of Senna going round... Well, half the lap is on one. It's one-handed. one-handed. Yeah, yeah, just the skill right. to coordinate all that. On another YouTube hole I fell down the other night, there was on board from different cars in the same Grand Prix from the early nineties. You know, PK's Benetton, but with a manual gearbox, and then it would cut to sort of Mansell with semi-automatic paddles, and the difference was you, you really felt so for PK because. What a job he had to do wrestling this thing through. Well, you'd see that with a handle plastered yeah. up in a yeah. race. I had you? that at Monaco just in the qualifying, you know, so many gear changes. But I mean, it's, it's also you watch them driving now. They just, like you could turn, we had to do all our gear changing before you turned in because the yeah. steering was so heavy. You couldn't take a hand off the wheel to change your gear. So you had to select your gear before the corner. And when you're coming, you can't change up halfway out of the corner. Yeah. So I, I would quite like in Formula One to actually cut them down to four gears. Because yeah. now you see them coming down and they're turning in, all the Formula 3s, Formula 2s, they're all the same. The driver turn in, bim, bim, little left hand, bim. And as they're accelerating out, they just change up. Well, everything, everything's in those last 30 yards now, isn't it? Well, the braking every, every zone modern has shifted car. forward. It's no, well, that's why you need to no longer the braking zone. Because yeah. you couldn't now have a manual gearbox because you can't, unless you had an H pattern, so you change straight from fourth to second. Yeah. They, had, they had the sequential so for, for a while. bit, they did, yeah. The problem was with the end of the braking got so good, they couldn't go down six punches yeah. <laughs> in the braking length. So that's why sequentials got kicked out and the paddles were the next obvious option. But if you only had four gears, you, you could but you could break and change but also in endurance racing it's how quickly the transmission as being the main problem for an endurance race just disappeared when i well i've not been doing it that long but in the 20 years i've been racing cars you know when i first did long distance racing it would you know you you sat down and you just talked about how you'd nurse the transmission i double declatched at level you 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 treated it like your third testicle didn't you it was this thing that was delicate and to be looked after now, we don't even think about the gearbox. It's just this thing that gets you up through the revs. You don't even think about the bloody thing. And as much as I hated fully automatic gearboxes in Formula One, what, a decade or so ago now, you may as well just reintroduce that because the guys ping down through seven or so Makes gears no difference. with no, one so finger. You don't Formula see one. it. That, that pre-selecting system about 10 years. Because then we just press yeah. two. It would yeah. go to two automatically. Bit like slipper clutches in, in bone motorbikes, which I don't like, and then even the Valentino Rossi doesn't like them. You don't hear the blip blip on the way down now, yeah. do you? The bike boys just kick the thing down. Well, on the road bikes, it's the same now. They've got they've got blippers on the way down, haven't they? Yeah. They're Can you literally just kick it and then it'll change down yeah, when my, it's ready the, for my it? My Ducati, you, you, as long as you're above five thousand RPM, it's flat on the way up and the way down. You don't have to double, yeah. don't, you don't have to blip it on the way down, which is good for me because I'm not that skillful at that. I'm sure you're very good at it, aren't blip. you? On the way down. 
I was like, every time I look at little, you know, I do a test, I look at an old test, and and I hear, I remember, that's me healing and towing. That noise you're hearing, I've created that sound in order that my gear change is smooth. That's what I can't stand about modern road cars, where all of that is automated, and you've got this ridiculously farty sound. The the auto blip on the downshift is so good. (laughs) This sound was the first. I remember I did 370Z. 370Z. And I was out, I did a piece down Reams, you know, and I said, Mike Hawthorne didn't have to do this, you know. I'm changing gear as good as Mike Hawthorne. And it, it, it was so disappointing. I thought, I've spent 15 years perfecting this. I used to go out at night and not heel admit and to people toe. I was learning how to heel and toe. And, this, and there's a computer that's better at it than yeah. me. Bugger off. Let's talk a bit briefly about Tiff on Two Wheels, because you do ride a bike now and again, don't oh, you? Yeah, I haven't borrowed one for a couple of years now. Whenever I can, I manufacture and bump into and... What's Tiff like on Two me. Wheels? Are you an idiot? Or are yes, you... yeah, that's why I give them back. <laughs> <laughs> I won't put all the clothing on. I mean, I'm jeans. I've got a little leather jacket. I wear that. When you start, you know, doing 90 miles an hour in second gear, 16,000 revs. They, they, they've, got, think, they've got crazy now. They're so I know, far. But they're so excited. But it's freedom. But I almost don't want to wear a crash helmet. I see them in America on their Harleys with no crash helmets on. That's what bikes. I just jump on T-shirt jeans, you know. And, as safety sports, so many things. It makes you feel guilty. You've got to wear all the clobber. But um, I love bikes. So, outside, so you know... The public knows you as the racing driver face of television, but there's lots of other stuff you enjoy. And your social media, you give us yeah, a little huge window sports into fan, it. Huge sports you, you, fan. You got into, you told me, it's a lovely story about football. You wanted something to do with your boys, didn't you? So yeah. you thought, let's all go to the football yeah, together. Well, they asked me, and I thought, what do I go to a football match for? You know, I like all sports. I mean, I'm a fan of every sport apart from, I think, ice hockey and basketball. They're the only two sports that bore me. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, they said, got a football. Anyway, the, so I got some tickets off of Matt Letizia, actually. I was met in Southampton. But the first time I walked down to the ground with my two sons in their red and white clean scarves, I thought, well, this is what dads should do. And it's been brilliant for the Nudel family because we go to away games, we stand in with all the loony fans singing the songs. And of course, when they went to the university, you know, most parents say, once your kids get, you don't see them for three months at the end of term. Yeah, they come back every two weeks to the home games. So it's been nice that it's bonded the family. But, you know, I was in... Um, Fulham last night, you know, I was up there last night cheering on them. Your eyes look a little bit. Yeah, I was a bit tired of coming back and a couple (laughs) of beers. But I mean, and in in 90 minutes, the point is in 90 minutes, I go through joy, terror, annoyment, rage, you know, disappointment. So it's like filming Top Gear. (laughs) (laughs) But in 90 minutes, there's so much excitement. We actually, obviously, I think any sport, you have to love a car. So I love NASCAR and stuff. And when Montoya went over and started a NASCAR, the 42 car. Yeah. So we followed the 42. That's the big thing in America. You've got the 42. You follow your 88. You follow your 24. And of course, now they've got this great kid in um, Larson who's in the 42. So there's only one son's big NASCAR fan. So we sit and watch the NASCAR and where's the 42? And you've got it. Because the NASCAR, you can be two laps down, you know, and 43rd on the leaderboard. Still and you win. can win, win, yeah. win the flipping race. You know, if you get the cautions come in the right time and you get your laps back. And it's an awesome sport. I did a NASCAR for Top, for top Gear, I think it was, yeah, way back in the 80s. I went around Charlotte. And the technicality of these things, yeah, they're all poo-pooed. Did by you do one of those NASCAR races? Yeah. At no, not race. Oh, I did uh, the NASCAR uh, uh, demo uh, run when the engines uh, were too ro- powerful. Uh, what it was called? So I did one of the races. I did a demo race. Blew my mind. It was so difficult. The for spotter, the technique. The, the technique of the car yeah. was, the setup was unbelievable. I, I, I don't know about you, I did one lap and thought, I've got massive respect for these yeah. guys. You roll off, because they, they have a free diff on deceleration so if you snap off it'll spin wow so you have to be fo- so you go down the straight holding it 
right it wants because to go it wants left. to go left. Yeah. And yeah. then as you get to the goal, you have to roll, roll out of it, dude. Roll out. And then you slowly release the grip and in it goes. And, and you're thinking, everything, your, your brain is completely overloaded with all this new stuff. And then you've got this voice in your ear going... <laughs> There's a bloke to your left and a bloke to your yeah. right. Well, I can't see him, can I? It's a great sport. I mean, it's, it's another sport, another entertainment. I've got respect for them when I did the Daytona 24 Hours. Back in 19... Yeah, a lot of those years ago, 82 or something, I did the Daytona 24 Hours the first time. And the Pepsi Challenger, and Nimrod, Aston Martin. And my teammates were Daryl Waltrip and AJ Foyt. Were they? Yeah, oh, what a That's mega cool. weekend. That is really And it was cool. the first, it was the last race when they didn't have a bus stop chicane in the back chute. So I was going round one and two, and then I'm going down the wall at 200 miles an hour, and then three and four are looming up, and it took me about four laps before I could believe it would go around flat. You know, up you go. Most amazing sensation, anyway. But in that race in those days, there were like 80 starters, and there were like little sedans, Toyota well, You've not sleekers. been to Daytona. It's not as big as you think it is when you get there, is I it? I know, it's all flooded now. It's all dark yeah. in those days. But have, you'd have, you know, NASCAR lookalikes, all welded doors, and you'd have Group C sports cars. Everything was thrown in Porsche 935s. Now, that must really get you excited. Cool. Man, yeah, sorry. It'd I also grab your attention driving there, yeah. it around there as well, I think. But I'd follow these NASCAR lookalike cars around the banking on opposite lot. You know, I'm fairly glued thinking, gosh, I'm going fast. And I catch these kids up, you know, fighting it up the banking on opposite wow, lock. And, wow. and it's steep banking at Daytona yeah, as well. So it's really steep. steep. So I've got huge respect for the oval races, you know, and I love watching So, them. and I'm, obviously I'm now trying to paint a picture of the Nintendo outside of cars, and you've gone straight back to cars. <laughs> golf, I, golf, I, cricket. I, what golf, a Tessa. We are, you tweet for I cricket love, as I well. Love that cricket. This year we've been spoiled with the two of the most amazing. Sun, Sunday, so we're recording this just <laughs> after that remarkable oh. victory on Sunday. Which First the World Cup, the world, yeah. and, and then this, the two. But I'm a Test Match fan, and I have to say, oh. do you remember that? I tell you what, do you remember the one thing we did many years ago we went to the Nürburgring with Jaguar and you I've and I bat, had, yeah. had to drive I've got the bat it gave me a bat it was my birthday wasn't it yeah yeah and it was your birthday so you again turned up with a hangover as you normally yeah, do yeah that's true and we had to drive these cricket stars around the Nürburgring and the night before we went for a meal and a few of them had a bit too much to drink. In fact, most of them did. They were, we had, so we had a mixture of the current England cricket team, sort of Andersons, Broads, that lot. And then we had Kevin Keegan <laughs> and Ian Botham. And, but they got absolutely hammered the night before. And we had to take them out and drive them. I, I, took, I took Alistair Cook round and I went as fast as I dared. And it was wet in an XKR. And, I, and it, the thing bloody oversteered in the, in the kink on yeah. the tear garden. And I thought, I'm going to be in the papers. <laughs> and he had no idea. Afterwards, he went, that looked a bit lovely. He went, nah, nah, yeah. always does that. Got out and went around the corner and went, oh. Um, but he took Kevin Keegan out. And he come, so he come out of the pits. Keegan's, what a lovely man to yeah. start with. He was just great. a legend. He was more than you expected. Just a great lad. Black suit. I mean, yeah. He just looked like he'd walked off a football field in 1986. He goes out with Tiff. They go down out of, out of the public entrance into the dip at Tiergarten. And I come on a lap and there's just this car by the side of the road. And Keegan's <laughs> over the barrier, hueying into the scenery. And it was for some team. Oh, it was going to go so on guilty. fifth gear or something, oh, wasn't it? So guilty. It was a fifth uh, gear story. And he, yeah. and he wouldn't let it. He, he, he said respectfully, I'd rather not be on the telly oh. chundering. No. <laughs> how, how long did he last? It wasn't five, it was half a lap. Or half a lap. Yeah. Oh, no, you didn't even make it to no, the bloody yeah, yeah, no. I don't know all the names. I'm not, you know. But name. if you if you don't know what to expect, if you've not been to the Nordschleife before or you're not used to the First time I ever and went around. And you drunk four bottles of red the uh, night before. Yeah, I mean, that's the worst. We, we were with a historic racing friend of ours, who I'm sure you guys know, Simon Diffie, in his old BMW estate years and years ago. And I'd never been around. And far more of us piled into this thing than there were seats in the car, let alone seat belts. 
and he was lit sideways everywhere and I seriously had a word with myself. It was a sort of, I would rather walk however many miles back to the beginning it is than complete this lap because I know how many miles are ahead but I just, I don't think I can do another corner because I was that scared but he drove brilliantly and of course you just, a lot, of drivers, a lot of drivers get uh, nausea there in the gloaming. So as the sun's coming down and the light, and the light is fading in the 24-hour race, quite often people, a lot of drivers get nauseous. And one of my teammates, and if you listen to this, Guy Spur, Guy Spur, great lad, he was, um, we were in a cup car, I don't know what this was, so 10, 12, 12 years ago, and Guy got, he got nauseous and he radioed in and said, I've got to come in, I'm, I'm going to be sick. And he chundered on his in-lap. Ooh. He's coming in, so he chundered. So we got out of the car. They threw me in, so there's there's chunder oh everywhere. It's like okay, fair enough. It's just a it's just a bit of chunder, isn't it? I'm not too shy. It stank a bit, but then I don't smell too good myself, do I? So I got in, plugged in, and everything. In those days, we just you just got radios are pretty good, drink spot and everything. And I thought, okay, get going. So I'm out the pits. The team's on the radio going, get on with it because we've lost a load of time. And that doesn't basically an extra stop. We're not going to get back. And I thought. After about 10 minutes, I'll have a drink. Press the button, of course. He oh. chundered down the tube. Oh. And it fired oh. a load of guys' oh. chunder into my mouth. <laughs> and I then chundered over myself. <laughs> so it was just... It's just vomit everywhere. Not a race you remember with any great joy. Well, we didn't. I don't oh think we finished God. that one. I but never it was, did that race. I don't remember never never did that race. Why have you not? It's, it's literally never, made for you because because no, you could you would just now be you there. Have to do, you have to qualify, don't you? You would be having a, you'd be having a massive track oh. limits wank off if you went oh. there. You'd love it. Oh. I've I never raced there either. I'd love to. Let's go and do the qualifying races in a in a cheap little because it's a bit. If you're in the same pad car, overtaking is limited until you get to the straights. You 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 do have to be a bit careful, but you can. You can overtake, and I, I'd say it's gone a bit the other way that the young GT3 drivers, for a, they've calmed them down now, but for a bit they just approached it like it was Ricard. Went for every gap, and and you just you couldn't Ricky do that. And, and then when you just have massive shunts and big multiple car shunts, mm. it's still you can persuade yourself that it's overrated and that it's spoken about too much and it's become too popular. The cult has grown too wide, and then you you get there, you haven't been there for a while, and you do one lap, and you go, this is. The balls, but it for but I me, I do get bored with these Nurburgring. Someone was tweeting about, Oh, watch this. I'm electric. Porsche. Oh, I did that. Is I did Porsche? that. I, I tweeted oh, was that. It you it was you. I think you came back and just went, You just tweeted, Not interested <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah, you just I'm don't so care, bored with Nurburgring. I mean, even you know, I understand you might have driven this electric thing. I haven't driven a Taycan yet. No, this this thing that went oh, up. Oh, the IDR thing, yeah, yeah, I've driven that, yeah. And I just I don't get I don't get excited about land speed records even when you know I was young with blue but and I don't get excited about any record that's not within a class of some sort of rules and regulations. You're you're, all, you're very consistent on this. You're you're a consistent curmudgeon on this. Yes. You, you know, but but I because that thing up. I mean, if you if you spend ten billion pounds yeah, to you try and like, not be embarrassed about you your like the idea diesel gate scandal, an ultimate for the sake of an ultimate that's testing a piece of technology. That's no, what it's doing. Because it then someone could ultimate your ultimate. Well, why not? That's Canam, isn't it? Have you ever done Canam and then blew out because Porsche came with a steamroller and oh, destroyed Canam? Oh, it's always Can-Am. Porsche's fault, isn't it, Tiff? Yeah, now you may even think of it. And this is Volkswagen anyway, isn't it? Tried to make up for their diesel gate. So they come up, they spend £20 billion. They go out and beat a few um, Yanks with V8s in a home built in a garage record. And it's just meaningless, completely meaningless. What, what, so what? 
And, then they, and they'd take a Porsche to the spa and say, we're quicker than the Formula One car. Well, yeah, if you went back with a Formula One car and took 200 kilos off it and put special tyres on it and, and wound it, we'd beat your lap record, which isn't a record at all. It's just a time on a bit of paper, which is meaningless. Yeah, but the it. Porsche thing was mega. Don't get excited just to see something off the leash, just no. something outrageously no. quick. No? No. Look at no, right. I like to see something that's on the limit. I tell you what. If that it had Pike's Peak electric thing, if you watch it, he just accelerates. And then he breaks and he goes to the corners. No, there's no it would be sliding. a very, very different story if that spa lap had had Tiff written down the side of the car <laughs> and a certain colour crash helmet. Then it would be the greatest single achievement by a human being, no. wouldn't it? I did that stupid speed record around the bowl, haven't I? And the McLaren still holds the fastest production. Well, that came up comic on, relief. on the Andrew Frankel podcast. That came up because Andrew did 172. Comic he did 190 relief. or something. I know, it was ridiculous. And he killed myself for comic relief. Why did relief. you do that? How comic relief, the, Top Gear made me do it. How long did the front tyre last? They bullied me. I was bullied by Top Gear. Well, there you go. That's yeah, not the first one. So can you tell me about the front tyre? What It must have lasted a lap at that speed. Well, because I knew tyres were the issue. So we had all the time. I said, you've got no to flies on you, Tiff. No. But it was freezing cold, freezing cold, crosswind, horrible day. So I did three laps and came in. When they needled the tyres, they were only like 50 degrees. It was, it was nothing wrong with it. But of course, you've got to do two miles slowing down to get to the needles to check your tyre temperature on a freezing cold bit of tarmac. So we didn't really, it was all a bit iffy. Then this one lap when I just tried to do, I was doing 200 miles an hour, trying to, I was trying to go 200 miles an hour average. What were you thinking? I know, but rusty Millbrook guardrail. I mean, you'd have ended up in Bedford. <laughs> but all of a sudden, the rear started walking, you know, oh, what's this? Oh, and then of course, you can't back off too quick because you know that you really will yeah, go. Then you really will go. So it was this long, minuscule slowing it down. And all the tyres had just gone like volcanoes on, one, on the rear, rear tyres, had just blistered. Because it's not a smooth surface there either, is it? It's too bad. pretty lumpy and bad. It's a, it's a, it's but a funny really enough, the tricky wind was, I never thought about the wind, which is the bizarrest thing, because the wind was very strong that day. So for half the lap, right, you're going round, the wind's pushing you up towards the barriers. So I've got a little more left lock on to hold it down. Because I mean, a lot of weight holding it down. And then you come, you know where the wind's coming. Then all of a sudden it starts shaking around a bit and it goes, the steering goes to neutral. And all of a sudden the wind's pushing you the other way. You say, whoa, no, no. I, 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 probably the most stupid thing you've ever done, yes. I would have thought. I'm terrified just listening to this story. But no, I'm sure when uh, Top Gear phoned you up and said we've got a Valkyrie to go around the Millbrook Bowl, would you like to beat Tiffany? I, w- I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. I think, the, <laughs> you know, there has to be, if you're going to go in a car, which we might all do, um, there has to be an element of glory in it. You know, yeah. when I was upside, when, when the hearse went over for the last year of Top Gear and I thought, I really thought I was in trouble then because, the, you know, the A-pillar just came in and I had to dive Ooh. into the footwell. I thought, you know, on your headstone, he died in a, Hearst had been painted blue yeah. doing 40 miles an hour at Sweet Lamb wherever I was no sorry Walter's Arena that's not what I envisaged mine would have been yeah, for comic relief he died for comic relief <laughs> <laughs> okay well um, we can take a quick break there so go and have a comfort break um, and uh, go and go onto Amazon and see if you can find a copy of what's it Tiff Gear Tiff Gear Tiff Gear Excellent. it's a fantastic read and uh, contains there are some also at Thruxton if you go to www.thruxtonracing.com while you're book, buying a book which can be signed by the author you can also book three laps as a passenger ride my other job with me and a BMW M4 how much is, how much is a ride £155 so. £155 for a ride if you pay £170 he'll be quiet he won't talk <laughs> alright uh, we'll see you in a minute Collecting cars, the safe, smart and simple way to buy and sell collectible cars. An online auction platform for the UK and Europe. Follow us on Instagram at Collecting Cars and also CollectingCars.com.
the CollectingCars.com podcast with Chris Harris and Edward Lovett. So welcome back. This will be a much shorter part two because we couldn't we couldn't curtail part one because Tiff was in full flow. What happens between part one and part two? We've got jingly adverts. So no, there's missed. no adverts. No, this is a non-commercial activity now. But so you what never happened know. between part one and part we, two? We're giving the audience a chance basically to go and have a wee or to oh. just to not hear you for a minute because oh, okay. I suspect there's been Tiff overload. They're oh. probably they've had to sit down oh, yeah. and contemplate your brilliance. They just oh, can't yeah. soak up any more of yeah, it. Yeah, okay, I didn't. It was worth a break. Yeah, there, right. is, there is a little mention of the whole point, which the, the collective cars auction platform which I want to see I hope Tiff's orange Capri with a brown final roof because oh. if that ever shows Enrich. up on the market I am Enrich. bidding immediately so current road cars you're getting some modern metal now aren't you because you've been doing your love cars thing the most embarrassing thing about my life is I don't own a car I don't own a single car well you didn't need to because BMW gave you one for 20 yeah, years true. didn't they that's true They've now given them to influencers now and they're not <laughs> lending me one anymore so I've had to go out and try and I might have to I don't know how to go I might have to Buy, yeah, how do you do that? So what Chris? would you... Um, we do have a family... I'd like... We do have the family X5 that's yeah. now... Ooh, it's about 12 years old now, 120,000 miles. Diesel or petrol? Oh. <laughs> Let's get on to that. Cause I wanna, fancy. Huff, what? I know, I'm winding up. The one thing he's always been consistent on is when the diesel thing really became popular 15, 20 years ago when all manufacturers started making diesels. This one here, Mr. Nadell, just said, you don't need to be a scientist to spot there's lots of stuff that comes out the back of them. You can give me all the details you want. I totally agree with him. There's soot coming out of it. Yep. One, it comes out the factory and it's nice and it's good, but once those filters get filled up and, it, and, and you're two years in, they're filthy. And they we always knew. Have been. We knew. They were carcinogenic particulates causing cancer. A scientist knew it 20 years ago, but because global warming and CO2 became the politically trendy thing, they yep. pushed everything everyone into into diesels knowing that the knowing that it damaged human beings but your reason for not having one is because they're just disgusting things to fill up yeah. aren't they because you have to put suppository gloves on to put the and the pump because they and, and the motorcyclists slip on the horrible greasy oil you start them up in the morning to run it's hot you know it's a cold morning and then you get your case to go back to your car you can't get near your car because the odious smell coming out of your car on tico have you so ever horrendous. owned a diesel no never will i have to now buy a car we so I'm guess. looking. I'm going to be second hand. I can't be bothered with all buying all on the internet or not on the Get a BMW contract. 335i. It'll probably yeah. s- no, it'll be, a, it'll be a 530 Touring. Yeah. You like your BMWs, drive. don't you? Yeah, I just like to feel happy. Even though they're now lot lending me one, I'm still like BMW. In fact, funny enough, when I was on Top Gear or, or television, they sort of said, well, you can't keep borrowing BMWs. So we can't let you do BMW stories because you obviously be biased towards them. So I said, look, what do you think is a better endorsement for a car company that I tell people I drive BMWs because they lend them to me or I buy or I drive I like BMWs because I bought one which is a stronger endorsement to the car company oh they gave up after that but I do like BMWs I mean they're all getting soft I recently drove the new M5 round Goodwood I was a bit disappointed to put it mildly I do think Goodwood's quite a tall Ask for a modern road car. I really do. The M4, the M2 were both brilliant. Were they? But it's, a, but, the it's a, but it's a 1.9 ton massive yeah. saloon car yeah. now, isn't it? I've got, I've got an E28 still. I've got an original black one from 85. Where's your rally car? Oh, come Good on. I used to look forward to your videos and rallies. I haven't, you haven't, haven't, haven't I'm going to do one next year. But the problem <laughs> is, how much motorsport have you paid for yourself? Oh, just recently. Do you know how much it cost? It cost £450 to enter a Formula Ford race. Where did that money go? <laughs> I had to buy a crash helmet two years ago. Did I you? haven't bought a crash helmet since 1971. Oh, the humiliation. I had to buy a new race suit. 
I had to buy one of those stupid U-shaped things you put around your neck, which do nothing at all unless you're an IndyCar or NASCAR yeah. driving 200 miles an hour to a concrete wall. But no, no, someone tells me I've got to wear one of those stupid things. And yet, apparently, I can wear an open face helmet with no balaclavas yeah. and my face gets burnt to pieces. And yet, I made you buy a fireproof suit. Why did you make me buy a fireproof suit and not make me put something in my face? I always wear a balaclava and a full face helmet because it's for fire reasons. Why do they let professional rally drivers go on telly with bare naked faces? I don't have an answer for that. No. But you can always tell a sort of professional race driver, especially someone that's sort of been there and done it, because they're walking around the paddock in knackered old overalls and yeah. boots and a lid that probably went out of date years ago because we just can't bring ourselves to actually Pay for buy it. five so stuff. You know, it's really I remember spoiled. doing, I, I had the privilege about nine, ten years ago of doing a race of Walter Rawl at the ring. We shared a Porsche, funnily enough, in a <laughs> VLN race. And uh, we had to go to scrutiny and he hadn't done a race in, 10 years, 15 years, whatever. And he, we had, that's when they just, the first year they were doing full suit and underwear scrutineering. You know, oh, if yeah. you didn't have the right labels on your socks, and then he turned yeah, up and he had, a, he had this manky, it looked like the cat had been sleeping on it. It was a short sleeve bit of Nomex. So short sleeve Nomex in itself is a bit wrong anyway. And he just handed it over to this woman who just went, no, nine. And he, and he just, he just said, this was good enough in group B, it will do here. And he walked off. And he just walked off and just said, put a tick there. It was lovely. <laughs> How are those rally boys? The speed those modern cars do. Did you watch the footage oh, from Finland? Ridiculously, yeah, just ridiculous. The way they're, they're flying in the air oh. now, and, and if they trim them wrong, they do wheelies, How don't they? How there aren't more massive accidents? And spectators terrify me. I see how close they're still standing. I had a go in one the other day. I had a go in the Hyundai. Oh, you did? Yeah, but, uh, but it, well, I, as a piece of engineering, they're weighting the body panels differently across the corners to make them fly differently, to behave differently. Wow. So the, the, all the body panels, they have different body panels to go on according to the rallies. The engine the block skill. is billet aluminium wow. block. Wow. I mean, what, what are they costing? As a piece of engineering, they're just absolutely stunning. But, but how the, did you find it to drive? Because I feel like they look, they only use an armful of lock now. Yeah, you so know, everything's so the way, the, the way that, that ever since you know, Loeb basically redefined the sport, in, in as much as he was a neat and tidy driver. He applied yeah. racing driver mentality to, to okay. driving and, you know, he was much quicker than Colin. Of course, what we wanted to see was Colin because it yeah. was just so sensational. So all the cars now, you brake, you excite the car on the way in, but the moment you're before the apex, you've got the wheel straight and you yeah. let the diffs just drag you out. Right. It still looks pretty I spectacular. Sort of, I was upset some rally drivers on Twitter because I sort of said, I wanted two-wheel drive. Let's go back to rear-wheel drive. Silhouettes, you know, cheaper and then slower. So a section, you know, you'll see the car for longer because it won't go through like a blinding flash of light. And, you know, they don't go oversteery. That's all, you know, neat and tidy. But And, of course, they'll, the twist, they'll find one photo where the guy's got opposite Lotto. <laughs> yeah, of course, for an instant. But that's slow. A bit like what we've just been talking about track driving. Yeah. If you get sideways in a modern rally car, you're going slow. You've got to have all your four wheels in yeah. line going straight. I mean, they're still, but they're spectacular through speed. But but it's, they're definitely, they're as outrage, outrageous now as Group B was the in the 80s. Notes. How do those drivers take on all that information that's about four corners ahead because they're arriving so fast? They're just it's in the incredible. zone. You can, when they finish a stage, you can see their, their eyes, are, they're out there, aren't they? That it, it's a it's a remarkable sport at the moment. It's a shame it's not getting quite the audience it deserves because this is definitely a, a, a peak point in 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 rallying. You 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 can see they're going to have to slow it down at some point. Yeah. And that will happen when Absolutely. they have to go electric because they'll be suddenly they'll have another 150 kilograms to cart around, won't they? And that will <laughs> slow them down. I have huge respect for the guys in the passenger seat. I just did a classic car rally which has some special stages and. 
my first experience reading pace notes and it's really hard <laughs> if you're trying to read this thing it doesn't really it makes it you know it looks like chinese and you're trying to keep an eye on the road ahead oh you can't do that you've got to sense the corners so trying to keep up with it and you've suddenly told your guy that there's a sort of easy left coming up and actually it's a first gear right hand hairpin i love the challenge oh. we did because um, you did rally gb yeah, you twice, you with RAC. two racs yeah it's just such an amazing challenge i did um i remember doing the the local rally to me was the y dean classic forest rally where you know you've got gravel stages and trees to hit everywhere and i did it with dan prosser he's a great boy mate of mine motoring journalist and we were a bunch of jokers we bought a 325i for two grand and we thought we'd make a story out of it turned up process on pace notes i'm driving we're not we're not a well-matched team we're not we're not well oiled we haven't done much of it we're coming down this straight and i'm going as fast as this bloody thing will go i'm wringing its neck and 90 miles an hour between trees in a crap old M, uh, three series does feel really feels like 200 on a track and dan doing his best job he's doing a really good job and he goes right 400 into five right and we were just doing one to six speed so five was pretty quick okay and I, you know, sometimes you do see a vanishing point and you think, I said, are you, are you sure that's a five? He goes, yeah, into five, right, keep it pinned. And, we, and then we got, we got, as I was turning in, he went, two! Just <laughs> shouted, two! <laughs> We've got this, we watch it when we're pissed sometimes. I just <laughs> shit myself and basically just throw all the lock on I can and we end up halfway up this bank and just, just bear it there, but for the grace of God. Oh, no, wasn't just having this belief in what you're being said. I, when it works, though, I've only been in a... I've only done a f- what, five or six rallies, but when you do get you do get this lovely symbiotic yeah. relationship, and it, yeah. when it starts to flow, yeah. it's unlike anything else you've I, done. I tell the story; I liken it to uh, speaking a foreign language. Yeah, that we've um, incredible. It's you know, Swedes and French. And I said, AAL, my big friend, we used to race a lot in Japan. I said, Well, how do you speak English so well, and how does it get through? And he said, The big trick is you have to think in English. So we were learning our schoolboy French. You know, we'll listen to something that will translate it into English in their heads, then we'll then translate it back to French for our answer. So it's that translation goes on. And I liken getting pace notes right to that. Yeah. That initially, when I used to use the one to nine, so nine was a 90 degree, one was a 10 degree quarter. So that's one right over crest. So you set the cards one, that's slightly right over a crest into, and that's another 50 yards, and then a left nine, that's a 90. So you spend a lot of time translating, and that almost takes too long. You can't, it has to. No, so what, you, what I did for the first couple of rallies, but eventually about the fourth rally I did, I had a great co-driver. And then all of a sudden, when he's saying it, you, the translation is there. So you instantly picture, so you don't have to translate. And the, the, and the whole thing calms down and yeah. becomes more yeah. fluid, doesn't it? What, once it what clicks, did you like do you it said, Oh, God, I did a Sierra Cosworth oh. the Group N. No, we sort of no handbrake. Couldn't handbrake turn around the tight You'd had corners. a normal cable handbrake. We had to do three-point turns because you see the kids usually these massive Scandi flicks. You're coming down a hill in a car that the track's only half the length of the car. And yet they were using the bushes, these huge Scandi. So in the pastelets, we put three-point turn, the really stupid hairpins. So we had to do that. And you, you couldn't change down too quick because so had a standard gearbox used to go. So it was a, but it used to accelerate like shit. So I was you know, going up to 100 miles an hour thinking, I wish I wanted to be going this fast, really. <laughs> and then I did, of course, the second one was a Formula 2 Skoda front-wheel drive. And it was the icy one. And yeah. it was just ridiculous. I've never been so scared. I was scared. It's the only time in my life going on a steering I've been scared. Because unfortunately, the rear brakes weren't working, which didn't help. I had no handbrake. And the, and the ice. And I remember once I was coming this long, and I could see an upside down thing in the middle of the track, <laughs> sort of you know, 500 yards away. So I thought, I suppose I'd slow down. So I'm now pressing on all three pedals and neutral and gears, and I didn't seem to be slowing down. And, I, and this thing was getting closer and closer. And eventually, I had to go up the bank and past it because I couldn't have stopped before it. Wow. 
I mean, a couple of times he shot off in the dark, bounced around and came back out the other side. How I survived that rally, I'll never know. Terrifying. It was made for you, though, with the car control. Yeah, what, front-wheel drive with no handbrake work. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then I did, I did the Scottish rally in a four-wheel, in a front-wheel drive Astra. I did a Hyundai Daihatsu Sharad one-mate rally. In fact, that was when the pace notes worked, where I had Cliffy Simmons, a BBC correspondent yeah. rally, as my co-driver. He was brilliant. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do another rally, but it's, it's so time-consuming. So you're so terrified when you've only got one rally of binning it on stage one, and then you're sitting yeah. in the bushes waiting for some and feeling very embarrassed. I've, you know? I have, I've done that before. Well, it's a circuit race. If you bin it, they'll bring it back on a truck, and you can go home quickly, yeah. but you have to sit. So what are you, you going to do from now on, then? You're not going to retire, are you? God, I can't. No, I still know. We don't all learn what Clarkson owns. That's always the problem. So I still are you still mind. mates with Clarkson? Yeah, well, no, wait, I see him occasionally, no, but not very often. He, he Moves in higher circles these days. Well, he couldn't really, move much it? lower than you, no, could he? No, that's really? true, no. But he, and he, so he, he, he was very nice. On, was it your book or someone's book? Was it your book? It might be the yeah, forward, forward he gave. Forward, yeah, it was basically very nice. said that you were the greatest drinker on the planet. Yeah, and right at the end he said, but he's a nice bloke. Oh, Tupper Clarkson, you know, ripped me to shreds, you know, saying I was so old and permanently drunk. And then he, just at the end he said, nice bloke. He's, he's good, right? He's brilliant. I, write, I read the Sunday Times, his column on, not the car column, but yeah, his news general, review. It's, it is superb. Great stuff. It does constantly make you laugh. Yeah. So now I'll still be doing laps around trucks and passenger rides to earn some money. I'll still be taking um, tour parties, Daytona 500. If you've got a motorpassion.com, join yeah, me. You still do that? You do Mille Mille? You do yeah, that still? Mille Mille, Spa. I'm going off to Spa this weekend to, to look after the hosts of their motorpassion. Yeah, you just don't, you're a Peter Pan. It's and of course aging. YouTube. But obviously Love Cars. So Love Cars is growing, so that's something that's going to take up more of my time. Play golf, charity golf days, love around a golf. What are you playing off Watch at the moment? Cricket. I'm still 18. I should be better, but... What about your beloved swallows? Enough. You like your swallows, oh, don't you? I tweeted just recently. Yeah, in fact, I saw that. Yeah, just they're all getting all gone now. They've all gone. So lovely, little bits of nature. I love my. I, I live in an old rambling Victorian house, but it's a half-price mansion. It's got a railway line through my property. I have property on the other side, and I mow it with my flail mower, my quad bike, and I, I, just, I love nature and chilling out there. The only trouble is I, I recently had a, an estimate for a fast charger because we'd be testing more electric cars. I had to go to the Tesla 3, which is very impressive. So I just got bored with it. That was my problem with these electric cars because we're drivers. Yeah. I wanted to turn some knobs and nurdles and change. You know, I couldn't do anything. I'm going to buy one because I want to see what yeah. it's like. But my old rambling Victorian electronics. Is it not? It will cost £1,000 to install a fast charge well, box. That's, but that's like an hour's work for you. No, it used to be. Your Clarkson money again. You see, you keep on forgetting. You've got, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to forget. You've got to leave that behind. He, he you know, he became bigger than you, Tip. This is what happened, mate. My wife's got to live a nice lifestyle that she got used to, and I'm trying to keep it going. Holidays, you like the odd holiday? Oh, don't you? love Sri Lo Lanka. You love a holiday, full family don't you? holidays. Absolutely adore them. About one every two years, we go mad and spend way too much money to go to a beautiful deserted beach somewhere with the kids. Very lucky our three sons come with us. They haven't got too involved with women and marriage, so they they'll come with us without bringing girlfriends and trouble. Because girlfriends and mother-in-law, that's a very dodgy But fundamentally, area. your glass has always been half full, hasn't it? Yeah. So we're still really enjoying a race at Google. I saw my little Formula Ford. I bought back the car that I won in the magazine competition, 71. So I'll be racing that a couple of times next and then you, year. And then when you feel you've been taken out, you use your social media mic yeah. to bully the person that didn't take bully you Bully the person. Rick Morris does not need bullying. <laughs> Let me make this perfectly clear. The man that was challenged Senna in Formula Ford and still think he drives like Senna, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that child, that child in the Renault Clio's at Thruxton on telly, who just, he put, coming into the truck, desperate overtaking manoeuvre, like young children do, who believe Senna's most ridiculous 
comment about if you see a, you're not a racing driver. Was he talking to Sterling no, Moss? If you no longer go for the or gap. Or Jackie Stewart. Yeah, yeah. if you no longer go for the gap, you're not, yeah, you're not a racing, you're not a racing driver. driver. So, of course, the bloke's blocking. And so the only way you can go for the gap is to put after car on the grass off track limits. So when he comes, T-bones the leader, takes him out, wins the race. You know, and he's been into it afterwards, you know, well, well, I did nothing wrong. I saw a gap and I went for it. It was only half a fucking gap. It wasn't a whole gap. <laughs> and this is what the children do now. They'll just go for any gap. I can't get hurt. Daddy will pay for a new car. And, you know, I mean, no, no respect. But also protection. You know, you feel safe in that big tin box. You wouldn't try yeah. that in a Formula 4, no. would you? Because you'd, you'd end up with no Rick legs. Rick Morris did. He said he didn't, I didn't give him enough room to act. <laughs> Fantastic! Look, I think we're gonna we're gonna call it a halt there. It's um it's been a pleasure having you on. You're gonna come on again because there's, there's still there's well, still yeah, we have so much there's still so much so more rubbish to talk to. Enjoy watching you on Top Gear. I have to fast forward through some of it, but, know, you know, but that Lotus 79, I just was crying for you. And I hate to say, it, however much you annoy what I do on television, you're mostly responsible for the way that I do it because obviously <laughs> you were the you were the one that we oh, all wanted to copy. I mean, I could do without everyone. the you know you've got more hair than me, which is really right, difficult right. to deal with given that you're 67 years old and right. I'm not. But um, no, you have, uh, on behalf of everyone that loves watching cars on telly, a big thank you from all of us. Well, That's thank the heartfelt you, bit. Very best of luck at Goodwood. I can't be there because I have to go film a flipping television programme. So mm. do well in the TT. Do well in the Kinrara. What's it on St Mary's as well, is it? St Mary's as well. Yeah, three races. Yeah. Enjoy it. It is the best weekend, isn't thank it? Thank you. Love to all your podcast listeners. Okay. Cheers, guys. So that's, that's goodbye from me, Chris Harris, uh, Sam Hancock. That's at... Hancock underscore Sam and Tiff Nadell, who for some reason got an underscore, but I can't believe there's any other Tiff Nadells on the planet. Is there another person called Tiff Nadell on the planet? Doubt it. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm thinking of a new career. I'm going to have the change done. Tiffany Dell. People think I'm Tiffany Dell. I'm going to do it. I'm going to have the sni- I'm going to have full thing, trans. Yeah, publicity I'd get. Why was you? Just tuck it in between your legs and walk differently. Then you can pop it back out when All you right. need it. Okay? okay. There you go. There's you, some advice. You could end as a Formula Woman and start your career all yeah. over again. I'll be there. There you go. Tiffany, Tiffany Dell wins Formula W. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.